Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Just as all gardening is local, all weeds are local as well. And we're hearing from many of you about your yard's nightmare weeds, especially ones that can be mistaken for clover. And you like it, so you let it go until it starts taking over. That's oxalis and its close relatives, creeping wood sorrel and Bermuda buttercup, and another weed that crashes the oxalis family parties, burr clover. Debbie Flower and I feel your pain on this one. UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden Superintendent Emeritus Warren Roberts tells us about one of the best trees for its brilliant yellow leaves this time of year, the ginkgo. It's our plant of the week. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Labutalon jungle of suburban purgatory. It's episode 153 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. A few weeks ago, we were talking about nutgrass, nutsedge, and what a hated weed that is for many of us. Well, many of you chimed in on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page to say, nutgrass, heck, you haven't seen my patch of whatever. And a lot of votes came in for whatever, including things like star thistle and bindweed and Johnson grass and kudzu and ivy. And a lot of people don't like oxalis. And there's even desirable oxalis. But this particular oxalis, mm, you don't want. It, it, it can take a lot of, uh, of punishment and come back uh, for more. Debbie Flower is here. She has pulled her share of oxalis. From many it, places. From many places. And actually, maybe pull is not the right word. Maybe it's dig out. No, I pull. Yeah. Um, mostly one major thing to keep in mind when you're trying to control reeds is bis. B-I-S-S, before it sets seed. Ha! Okay, this. If all you're going to do is pull, and I like pulling weeds, it's therapeutic. Mm -hmm. I can remember sitting in my front yard in Portland, Oregon, pulling wood sorrel out of my lawn just to calm myself down after some some event. So, uh, if you want to get it out, if you do nothing else, get the weed out before it sets seed, especially with this wood sorrel. Wood sorrel creates this a tall capsule of seeds, and when it opens, it throws its many, many, many seeds long distances. Oh, like Harry Bittercress. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Like Harry Bittercress, you're absolutely right. So pulling it, I mean, those seeds can go 10 feet away, and so then you've got another infestation. Pulling it is helpful if you leave any part of the taproot or any part of the root or any part of the stem. You have not killed the plant, but at least you have removed the above ground portions that you got your hands on before they set seed. There are several common names for the weedy oxalises, uh, creeping wood sorrel, Bermuda buttercup are two of the more common names. It can be found in, in lawns, flower beds, gardens, nurseries, greenhouses, and basically throughout the world. Right. Cracks in the driveway, cracks in the sidewalk, 
the place between the asphalt and the and the concrete on the street. Wherever it can get its little tiny seed, it will grow. And of course, in those tight spaces, it's harder to remove. It is perennial. Uh, the oxalises are perennial. I have ornamental oxalis in my yard. It's one of my husband's favorite plants, but it does not produce these uh, seed pods. So mm-hmm. it, it's just one clump that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's only there in the spring. Actually, a little bit of it is uh, still flowering into the fall. Uh, it is not invasive. This wood sorrel and the Bermuda buttercup, which are two different uh, species of oxalis, are the weedy oxalis. Did you know that the Greek word for sour is oxalis? Oh, I didn't know. And it, it refers to the, uh, the the acidic nature of what you would find inside it. And they warn people who have livestock to... Uh, remove any of oxalis because they can suffer from oxalate poisoning. Oh, that's a a swelling of the mucous membranes, and so they could suffocate. So one good reason that if you do have oxalis and you have uh, a livestock, you you do want to remove that uh, from the area. It can be a little bit difficult to identify what is oxalis and what isn't. It looks like clover. It looks like clover, right. True clover has a round-headed flower. But the uh, oxalis and another clo- another plant called uh, metacago, or is in the genus metacago, also looks like a clover. So just looking at the leaves isn't going to be super helpful. Right. The leaves are three leaf. It looks like three leaf clover with a yellow flower. Right. That's that's the clue. Any of the the three that we're talking about, the metacago, the Bermuda buttercup, and the wood sorrel, all have yellow flowers, and clover does not. Yeah. The um, metacago is uh, burr clover is the common name for that one. And that, too, uh, can be found in, in, in many parts of the world. What's interesting is it, it it's useful as a pasture plant <laughs> the because metacago, it fixes nitrogen. Exactly. The metacago fixes nitrogen. It's in the legume family. Uh, and legumes are things that fix nitrogen in their roots. Uh, I used it in teaching. You could find it all over campus. So I would pull some up and take it in into the classroom to show the nodules on the roots that are formed in, in nitrogen fixation. It can sometimes, though, the burr clover can sometimes be toxic to livestock, as we pointed out. And the seed pods can be a serious contaminant of wool. Yes, the seed pods on the metacago are, have little uh, sharp points on them, and so they can attach to other things like the wool of a sheep. That's how weeds spread. Yes, it's a dispersal <laughs> yes. technique. Yes. This one, does, Metacago doesn't throw its seed. Its seed pods uh, are carried away on your pants, your shoes, uh, your sheep, your dog, your cat. The Metacago is an annual of the, the, how many are we talking about? The three we're talking about, this one is an annual. The other two are perennials and the ornamental oxalis are also also perennials. So perennials are persistent. They have some way of living over during uh, negative times, whether it's cold or dryness or whatever it is. And in the case of the oxalis, which is the Bermuda buttercup and the creeping wood sorrel, they have little bulbs underground. And the University of California on their great weed site uh, point out the obvious that uh, hand weeding is used extensively to reduce infestations and get it before it sets flower. Yes. Yes, very important to uh, to do that. And uh, they recommend the hoe, the hand pull, uh, all, all those things uh, that can help it, especially when you get it young. Yes, and even if those bulbs have formed, every time you remove the top, 
you're forcing the bulbs, the plant to use the food in the bulbs to create a new plant. And so that diminishes the bulb a little bit. And then you see new growth on top, remove it again. If you do that over and over and over again, you eventually rob the bulbs of the food in them and you kill the plant. But it's a per- you have to be persistent. And here's why you don't want to mow it. For two reasons. Number one, the creeping wood sorrel survives and sets seed even when mowed as close as one quarter inch. Chances are your mower doesn't get down a quarter inch. And after using a lawnmower where creeping wood sorrel grows, you can have seeds all underneath the uh, um, lawnmower around the blade. So you need to clean the lawnmower thoroughly. And then those uh, bulbs are difficult to remove. Yes, yeah, sanitation is critical. This, these plants, these oxalis plants can grow from certain portions of the stem. They can grow from seed. So you want to make sure that you get any equipment you use in your landscape is washed. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, you should wash it after you use it, before you put it away. But it's washed so you're not transmitting it yourself from place to place. And this nasty stuff grows in lawns, too. It does, yes. Yeah. And it can be, especially if you have a... A stoloniferous lawn like Bermuda or Kentucky bluegrass, it can get sort of trapped under those stolons, which are surface stems, and it can be difficult to pull out. The wood sorrel grows on a stolon itself and roots from place to place. So pulling it out can be sort of like doing a puzzle. If you're going to use a herbicide on it and it's in a lawn situation, know the type of lawn you have because it's different chemicals for different lawns. Cool season turf grasses such as bent grass, Kentucky bluegrass, fescues, ryegrass have their own table of chemicals that can help control creeping wood sorrel. And then the warm season turf grasses like Bermuda grass, buffalo grass, KQ grass, St. Augustine and Zoysia, they also have a list of uh, chemicals that uh, can control uh, the uh, creeping wood sorrel. And they're all different. They, yeah. There's no overlap. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it sounds like herbicides for Bermuda buttercup, buttercup is very limited uh, since uh, two of the three are, uh, or two of the four rather, are non-selective, uh, glufosinate and glyphosate. So they would kill the, your lawn or yeah. whatever else this uh, is growing in. Basically, read and follow all label directions. Always. And I guess one, I won't say a f- safe way, but at least a fairly safe way is if you have the case of the oxalis growing in a lawn situation, maybe apply a pre-emergent that's approved for use on turf. Yes. That yes. might help. And they, they, they have very hard to say names, so I won't, but we'll list them in the uh, Garden Basics newsletter as far as pre-emergent herbicides for cool and warm season uh, turf grasses. And if you're in the, you don't have that list with you and you're in the the garden center and looking for a chemical, uh, read labels. Oh, always read labels. And the label should, must show the weed you're trying to control and the situation you're trying to control it in. So uh, oxalis or wood sorrel and lawn or oxalis or wood sorrel and ornamental landscape, something yes. like that. And uh, I would think that when it comes to lawn, they'll break it down into cool season or warm season. Uh, right. Turf so you need too. to know what kind of grass you have, as Fred said. Yeah. All right. It's a tough one. It is the oxalis. Common names include creeping wood sorrel, Bermuda buttercup, and then uh, a different genus, Metacago, and that would be the uh, burr clover. Yes. And that's an annual. That's that that one. I, I don't think you would even want to approach using an herbicide, just potentially a pre-emergent, but nothing for once you see the plant. Just pull it. Get, get it out of there. I remember it, I got paid to do it. I was eight years old and a lady down the street wanted me to come weed her front yard, which was all rocks. <laughs> and it was burr clover. Mm-hmm. 
And I just remember how bloody my knees were. Oh, your knees, your fingertips. <laughs> yes. uh, I was weeding last week in my son's property, which has uh, sections of rocks, and my fingertips <laughs> are a little damaged yeah. because of it. Yeah, it, it seems to like rocks mm -hmm. <laughs> to grow on. Those se and those seeds can sift right down on, through those rocks and get in the little crevices and germinate. Yep, no doubt about it. Oxalis can be a bad weed or, or a pretty plant. Mm -hmm. All right, choose carefully. Right. Pick your poison. All right, Debbie, thank you so much. My pleasure, Fred. We're glad to have Smart Pots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. Smart Pots, it's the original award-winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors. If a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the Smart Pots that have handles make them easier to move closer to the house for added warmth, or you could even move them inside for the winter. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy Smart Pots at Amazon. If you want to see them before you buy, Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. If you're thinking of growing fruit trees, or maybe you already have your own backyard full of fruit trees, well, you probably have a million questions. Like which fruit trees will grow well where I live? What are the tastiest fruits to grow? How do I care for them? What are the most important things to know when starting a backyard orchard? Well, the good news is those answers are just a click away with the informative videos that you can find at DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest grower of fruit trees for the backyard garden. At DaveWilson.com, you'll also find planting tips, taste test results, fruit variety recommendations, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show. Plus, you can just listen to the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. There's other helpful links for even more information, including info about the new Garden Basics newsletter. And just like the podcast, it's free. Plus, you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. Leave an audio question without making a phone call via SpeakPipe. Go to speakpipe.com slash garden basics. It's easy. Give it a try. You can also use your phone to call or text us the question and pictures. 916-292-8964. 916-292-8964. And you can email us, fred at farmerfred.com. And if you tell us where you're from, that's going to help us out greatly to accurately answer your garden questions. Because as I'm fond of saying, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And there's a link to the FarmerFred.com website. And if you would please, if you hear something you like on the podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you.
Every week, we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. He is their superintendent emeritus, a very knowledgeable plant person. And today, the plant of the week, uh, it's just a gorgeous tree. It's one of my favorite trees. It has one heck of a show of fall color. And it's a very interesting tree in that, well, you may think it's a deciduous tree, but Warren might disagree with you on that. It's the ginkgo. And Warren, the ginkgo is just an amazing tree with a a long history. Yes. uh, In fact, uh, the fossils uh, go back, the fossils that look like the modern ginkgo go back 200 million years. So that's a long time. (laughs) Right. Is it technically a conifer? Well, it's it's not a conifer because it doesn't really have cones, but it is a gymnosperm, mm. which is the larger category, which includes conifers and a, and a number of other uh, interesting plants. It looks like a regular um, flowering tree, but it uh, is not. <laughs> but the leaf is certainly unusual. And the leaf is unusual. It, it's usually triangular. The tree is sometimes called maidenhair tree because the leaves look something like Maidenhair ferns, but with larger leaves. In California, we just call it ginkgo, G-I-N-K-G-O. My mnemonic device on that was uh, the first part, uh, gin, is something you might uh, imbibe. Okay. And KGO is a radio station in San Francisco. (laughs) So ginkgo, KGO. Um, the, or the maidenhair tree. Yeah, there are some announcers at KGO that could drive you to drink like gin. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. The ginkgo uh, can become a very large tree. There was one in uh, Kamakura in Japan. I think it was the biggest well on record that uh, recently fell. I would have thought that they would have propped it up better, but down it came. And that particular ginkgo had a very unusual characteristic in that stalactite-like growths would uh come down from the branches. And some of these uh, were several feet through and, and uh, several yards long. Um, I've only seen one of those outside of Kamakura, and in, in there, there's a, is or was one in, in Sacramento that had this characteristic. Hmm. And that particular one is a female uh, cultivar. Now, this, the <laughs> I love the ginkgo. It's beautiful. <clears throat> I rarely recommend that people plant it because... Um, the grafts often fail. Now, the, the fruit of the ginkgo is the seed is, uh, actually the embryo inside the seed is edible, but the flesh covering these outside of the uh, seed is, when it is ripe, smells about as bad as any smell you can smell. It smells a bit like uh, vomit, really. I was going to say it smells like the aftermath of a fraternity party. Or the aftermath of a dog. Yeah, that too, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's really unpleasant. So select forms, and there are about, I guess, 60 different ones available, are, are males. So the male does not produce fruit. It produces a, a kind of tassel-like flower that uh, that produces the pollen. The fertilization of the seed is interesting in itself, and it also inverts involves motile sperm. So who knew? Wow. Who knew? Right. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Now, to give the fruit its due, there are cultures that do prize that fruit. Yes, there are. We have a big old ginkgo from the the 1870s in Capitol Park in Sacramento. And I guess the trunk is, oh, I don't know, six feet across. It's not as big or old as some of the ones back east in Pennsylvania and, and so on, but it's big. Now, it's never a problem, even though it's a female tree, because people from uh, that are 
uh, that have ancestors from China or Japan or Korea or Manchuria or uh, descendants, at least to the <laughs> second generation, will go out with plastic bags on their hands and pick up the fruit and actually clean the flesh off, clean it really, really, really well, dry it, and then those seeds or can be cracked. They look kind of, um, they look kind of like a large uh, pistachio, mm-hmm. and and then inside is a kind of a starchy, uh, slightly rubbery um, embryo, which is used in festival uh, soups celebrating winter. But it's involved. You have to really, really be uh, attuned to that. I, for example, have never felt the need. But thank goodness that these people do this, and it's uh, providing a service. And it's a win-win situation. They get the seeds, which they can use for their cooking, and it cleans up the mess. If I recall correctly, uh, there have been warnings about don't eat too many of them. Like, limit yourself to three or four if you're going to, to imbibe in those, just because if, oh, you're, yeah. if, you're, if you're not used to it, it could cause some uh, internal digestive issues. Oh, dear. Well, <laughs> there's never a perfectly good thing, I guess. No. But, <laughs> no, I, I've heard that, too. And the most I had, in fact, the most I've ever eaten at one sitting would be, I think, three or four in a wonderful uh, Chinese recipe soup that includes uh, daylily uh, buds as mm, well. Yeah. Very tasty. So the ginkgo, uh, there's some, been some discussion about um, powder from the ginkgo leaves can be used to help the mental uh, acuity, but I don't know if that has proven out in, in science. I, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't really say it. Just I'm just mentioning it because because it is happening. So if the if the graft fails and the male a clone is grafted onto the tree, you really can't tell it right away because the sprouts that come up from the rootstock look pretty much uh, like the the scion. But the sad thing would be in about 11 years or 15 years, if it happens to be in a 50-50 chance that the seedling is a male or a female, that you get a female tree, then you have to deal with the considerable aftermath. Well, it it, it depends. (laughs) Some people do make lemonade out of lemons, you know. That's true, but you have to be the person that makes the lemonade. Yes, indeed. But I recommend sometimes that if you want to, if you've got to have a ginkgo, we'll plant a small grove of them. When the the gender manifests itself, well, those ones can be removed, and you'd still have at least one uh, male ginkgo with its beautiful foliage and... The fall color foliage, particularly. The beautiful yellow fall foliage is just so uh, outstanding on the ginkgo. I would be hard-pressed to cut it down. No, I would be, too. But if you had a grove, then maybe you sure. maybe do, do some thinning. The, the, the leaves are just as beautiful on the ground as they are on the tree. And locally in Sacramento, I think there's uh, somebody who makes uh, drawings, but with a rake. Right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we've done that on the, in the Arboretum uh, at UC Davis campus as well. And the beauty of, of that is the fact that the tree tends to drop most of its leaves at one time, so you can get all artsy as you like. <laughs> That's true. One of the, the interesting things about ginkgo, there's so many, is that it seems to have outlived its pests. Mm-hmm. The ginkgo has almost no uh, known uh, bothersome pests, insect bites, or what, at least that I know of. So that's good. Can I tell you a story? Sure. I had a ginkgo growing in in my front yard. And one day I noticed it was kind of leaning. I go, what's wrong with that? So I went out to take a look at it and I just sort of kind of gave it a gentle little push and it fell right over. And I was looking at the root area 
The roots were gone. They had been munched on by gophers. Oh, my goodness. I <laughs> didn't think about those creatures. Now, and, gopher, hmm, gophers are, are they, that's the western pocket gopher, I guess. Correct, but, yeah. Well, well, that's okay. I planted another one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good for you. Yes. Yeah, in general, the ginkgos, though, aren't bothered by insects or diseases. They're very tolerant of a wide range of conditions of, as far as acidity of the soil or alkalinity of the soil. They're not uh, bothered by air pollution or heat. They're just a, a great tree. They do need some water during the dry season, though, to be successful. They will survive uh, long stretches without water. But if you want the tree to be uh, healthy and, and grow faster than its pretty slow growth, uh, you need you need to water them at least every two weeks, a good soaking. That's right. But uh, uh, they're they're easy to take care of. They are easy to take care of. And there's almost, uh, since you have so many different varieties, you can get some with upright branches, some with weeping branches, horizontal, and so on. Exactly. It's the ginkgo, G-I-N-K-G-O. Uh, I guess that would be the ginkgo biloba we're talking about. Yes, there's just one species that has survived. And it's got its own family, too. It has its own family, its own order, all kinds of things. Yeah. So it's a, it is a deciduous tree, and it, it's definitely a showstopper in the fall with the bright yellow leaves. The ginkgo, another great plant of the week from Warren Roberts, Superintendent Emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. For more information, visit their website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren, thanks again for the ginkgo. You're welcome. Don't forget, if you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's episode of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, please subscribe to the free Garden Basics newsletter. It's on Substack. Details are in today's show notes. The Garden Basics podcast will be on its winter schedule from November through January, which means there will only be one episode per week during this three-month period, and it'll come out on Fridays. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by SmartPots, and we thank them for their support. Garden Basics, it's available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.